Welcome to Overcome Podcast, and this is the last episode of 2020. And to close this year, in a high note, I have Professor Greg Hamilton, black belt, that has some very inspiring story to tell about going all the way to an ER with inflammation on his nose because of a jiu-jitsu rolling that went wrong, and how he use that opportunity to completely rebuild his career, create his own business, and now coming up with a DVD of submissions via BJJ Fanatics. Amazing story. Stay right there. Be right back. Welcome to Overcome Podcast. For the last episode of this year, my friend, Professor Greg Hamilton. Thank you very much for being here today and, and for your time to record this. Thank you, Yuri, for having me. Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, definitely uh, very grateful for this opportunity and very honored. Thank you so much. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Professor, uh, we've talked about uh, some background story. Uh, that it goes through the theme of this uh, podcast, and you send me uh, some highlights that I'm, I'm uh, extremely impressive with the amount of uh, situations that you had to overcome over the years. So I think it's gonna be pretty amazing this conversation. So let's start all the way back to 2014 because I want you really start from the uh, your jiu-jitsu journey. Um, and in 2014, when you started. Uh, six months after you started, actually, you had your first major injury. Uh, you tore your knee uh, and and tweaked your neck. So what was that? It was one of those uh, white belt mistakes or it was just a, a, a freaking accident? So ju just a correction. I started jiu-jitsu in 2004, not 14. Right, 4, 4. So, so th this is 2004. Yes, sorry, yes, sorry, yes. I missed that. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want to give any, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, yes, kidding. my bad. Two thousand four so, yeah, correction. So, so at, at the time when I started uh, jujitsu, um, it was a different type of a jujitsu than we know it today. It was incredibly rough. It was uh, very hard training, and in particular, the place where I started, it, it was not. Uh, known as a place where you know you, you you would come in and it's all nice and you know clean and bright it, it was just this kind of hole in the wall place where I, you know a friend of mine was going to train jiu-jitsu so at that time I was trading securities and uh, the guy that I was uh, kind of uh, mentoring in the uh, in the office and teaching him how to trade he he said oh you know I started jiu-jitsu and I knew what jiu-jitsu was because in 1993 I saw UFC one with Royce Gracie and all that but I really didn't think that it's something that I could do because everything else was just Chuck Norris and uh, Taekwondo and karate and all that. Mm -hmm. But he kept on telling me, you should try it, you should try it. And uh, finally, after about a month, he broke me down and I tried it. And I came in there and it was a small place, uh, literally like you walk in through the door and there's just a little bit of uh, wood and the, the owner who lived in the back of that facility uh, he was laying on his back and I remember and he goes oh yeah come on in take your shoes off you know and I'm like oh okay he goes here let's let's roll you know and I knew nothing about it and he says uh, come on let's let's roll I said well what do I do he goes and at that time you got to keep in mind I was 
really good shape. I was playing basketball every day for hours and hours, like really like competitive basketball. And I'd go to like Venice Beach and, you know, I was really like strong and I was like 6'6", 250, 260. And uh, he says, let's, uh, let's roll. And I said, what do I do? He goes, well, just try to choke me. And I said, like, pow, like, like this, you know, like a serial killer. He goes, yeah, try that. And I uh, put one knee down and he pulled me up on top of him in a butterfly garden. And this, is, this was, a, 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 let's say, he was maybe 5'7", five, 5'8", five, maybe 165 pounds, had that, like, Iowa wrestler type of vibe. Mm-hmm. And he just picked me up, swept me, got on top, choked me. And literally in about 15, 20 seconds, like everybody, I said, okay, now, now I'm ready. And then he choked me out another probably three, four times. And probably in, I would say, 70, 80 seconds, I, uh, I just couldn't breathe anymore. And I said to myself, I, I really need to learn this language because this human being who's literally uh, probably about 100 pounds lighter, a foot shorter than I am, just destroyed me, and uh, I, I need to I need to learn this. So I started training probably about five months, six months after I started training. Uh, it was the first competition that came up, and uh, you know my my instructor, his name was uh, D'Artagnan. His uh, we used to call him D uh, for short, and he says, "Hey, you know you want to go and do the, this uh, this tournament down in Orange County because I was in uh, Los Angeles at that time." And I said, yeah, sure. What I do? He goes, oh, there's nothing. Just show up. And then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I showed up. And it was, I think it was a Gracie Baja Garden Grove. It was, um, I think, Mauricio Tinguilla, you know, the one that does the spider guard. And uh, he, uh, I think he was the, the head of the uh, UFC gym jiu-jitsu uh, for, uh, for, since, since, since the beginning. But anyways, uh, it was just this packed. I mean, like literally the whole academy was packed with, uh, you know, for that tournament. And I had no idea what to do. And I just stepped up there with all these big guys. And uh, my first guy that I got wasn't so big, but he went for like a single leg. And then he started just picking, driving me off the mat. And as I kicked my leg back, my knee just went straight down on the concrete, which was literally about maybe this far off the mat. And I didn't realize it then, only after, uh, that I really messed up my knee really bad. I mean, I, I oh, so you didn't so really badly. feel immediately? I, not at all. Not at all. I messed it up so bad because literally with full force, it was like literally like doing a knee drop on straight up concrete. And um, and I kept going. I, I won the first match. I won the second match, uh, and then I lost the third uh, third match. And all these guys were like huge. They were like like two seventy, two eighty, big guys, and they're all like you know three, four stripe white belts. And I lost to uh, to Joe Escoto at white belt, and now he's a black belt, trains under uh, Nino Shambri, and uh, he's a, he's a friend of mine. So it was wonderful because we established like a nice friendship and. Uh, all the way back then in 2004. So, uh, yeah, and I hurt my knee really, really bad. But I didn't know that I hurt it. I, I just thought, oh, I just bumped my knee. You know what I mean? It just I couldn't bend it or move it or anything. And I think I kind of uh, tore the either the meniscus or something like really damaged the patella. It was uh, it was it was pretty Did, bad. Uh, you have to so. stop training for some time because of that. 
maybe a normal human being would have stopped, but uh, I did not stop, and uh, I just kept going, and uh, progressively, it just kind of got better, it was hard to bend, and, you know, a couple weeks went by, and, you know, a month, two went by, and I, uh, the knee got better, but then, uh, my instructor w had me roll, uh, ironically at that time with my little brother who was, uh, 14, 15 years old with no hands. So he said, here, roll with your, um, roll with your brother, but don't use, put your hands behind your back. And because I was so much bigger than everybody at that academy, he used to call me cubed, like not squared, but to the third power, you know what I mean? <laughs> not that I had any big abilities, but I was just, you know, big, strong and all that. So he goes, cute. He goes, roll with your brother and, uh, you know, just keep your hands behind your back like this. So I was doing a front shoulder roll and my little brother, who's pretty big also, he just kind of put his weight on me as I was rolling over my shoulder kind of like this. And I felt my neck go, tick, you know, and I was like, oof. And then, Yuri, about two days later, in this thumb right here, I noticed numbness right at the tip and right at the tip right here. And I would do this like a, like a pincer grip mm -hmm. and I couldn't feel my thumb. And then all of a sudden I noticed going up my finger and up this finger, up the hand and all the way up here, right behind the, uh, the shoulder and going in the neck. It, it was the most excruciating pain. I have ever had and the whole arm began to have like this numbness and this non-stop it was like it felt like a like a like a guitar string going from my index and my thumb all the way up and the pain going up and I I, I mean it's exactly where I'm, I'm I'm showing you up here was excruciating yeah I I herniated a disc in my neck and it was push. It was like either L4 or C4, C5, and uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it, but it, it was so excruciating that at that time I couldn't even drive my car with my left hand. I had to hold it like this, and I I I, I had to lay down like on hard surface just to relieve the pressure. That the pain was just so agonizing. I felt like. My, my left hand completely was useless and, 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 and I stopped training and all my muscles atrophied in my left side, my shoulder, everything. And I didn't train for about probably about two, three months. I was just in such pain. I went to a couple of chiropractors and that was the worst experience because it was so painful. I went to this one chiropractor. He was like, he's like a big guy, like football player, like, you know, a muscular like you. And he goes, oh yeah. You, you got a stinger, you know, it's an it's a old football injury. I used to have those all the time. Here, you, we're going to have to adjust you. And he tweaked my neck to where it felt like somebody sent a, a, an electrical, like, like shockwave through my neck and arm and spine. It was excruciating pain. And I thought, thank God it's over. He goes, yep, you're going to have to come back at least three, four times a week for the next, like, four weeks. And I said, I said, there's no possible way I can uh, – <laughs> I can't take this uh, this pain. And um, another couple months went by, and my uh, teacher, uh, you know, he called and he goes, "Listen, you got to come back, and you got to start moving, and we got to just build up the muscles in your neck, and uh, and and if you don't, it's just going to get worse." And it was your, it was agonizing. Pain. Yeah, but I how did you how did you about, fix it? Just time. Uh, I I went to another chiropractor who uh, was more like a doctor, and he sat me down, took X-rays, showed me 
where because my vertebrae was literally like 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 this he showed me exactly where the hernia was the herniated disc was he told me exactly the problem he he took in a, a more medicinal approach and he basically said he goes you've spent such a long time already like four months or so in this position where you're all like you know trying to compensate for that disc he goes it, it, your body had uh, adjusted for this new position, which is the wrong spinal alignment, and we have to put it back in alignment. He goes, I'm going to adjust you. It'll go back to normal, and then it'll go back into the back, into the new abnormal, let's mm-hmm. say. And then you just got to come back, and like probably he said three, four times a week, and uh, we'll, we'll eventually – fix it and you just gotta you know continue to return otherwise it's just gonna settle and it's uh in its new incorrect spot and i did that i went back to jujitsu and uh, i started doing uh, shoulder presses because he explained it's a circular injury mm-hmm. so it heals like this you know so he goes that and you got to build up the muscles around the neck your traps your shoulders and i'd go to jujitsu even though it was agonizing pain afterwards I do shoulder press, I do uh, lateral uh, arm raises, lateral raises, forward raises, and uh, push-ups. And eventually, uh, to tell you honestly, it, it, it kind of like pushed it back in. And probably took about a month or so before I started feeling uh, better. And, uh, you know, it, it really did make a huge difference. And that was my first real experience with like excruciating, agonizing pain that just it, it never went away it's not like you know like you know I, I know that you just had um you know surgery on your foot but you know how like you can kind of just leave it and not 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 move it and it'll kind of well hurt is bad mm-hmm. you know but this was just nerve pain that no matter what position i'm in i can feel it up my arm yeah. i can feel it while i'm driving i can feel it while i'm sleeping i'm waking up in the middle of the night with this agonizing pain so it really took a lot to overcome this particular injury and I really learned about my body I learned about how I really uh, neglected to be aware of how I was moving and whether I'm putting my body in you know risky positions because you don't think about well, it especially but, in the beginning but in the, some the, way it was not so much your fault because you were um, rolling with the arms behind your back which you shouldn't be doing in the first place <laughs> Yeah, that that yes, absolutely. But at the same time, I thought to myself, you know, I mean, I got to extract some kind of uh, lessons in order to apply uh, the experience to, you know, to, to, to moving forward. And, you know, and obviously, I never let my students roll with their hands yeah. behind their back or anything along the lines. But what this made me do is it made me very hyper of the position of your neck whenever you are in any type of position. And it really uh, left a, 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 a very specific kind of impression on me because, I, I mean, even to this day, I'm incredibly aware of, like, when I roll with anybody, it doesn't matter if it's my students or, 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 or black belts or upper belts, I, I, I'm always aware of the neck position of the person that I'm rolling with and I, I'll, I'll stop, you know, or I'll, I'll let them move out of it just because, you know, sometimes people don't think about it in the heat of the moment. And God mm-hmm. forbid, man, neck injury, spinal injury, it's uh, it's it's horrible, absolutely yeah. horrible. Yeah. So you know, I I, I definitely overcame that uh, you know, that, that experience to say the least. Yeah, and, and you did a good thing, as you said. You 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 tried to learn with that experience and, yeah. and incorporate what it, what it was good and uh, completely expel what is bad, such as 
rolling with your with, with your arms behind your back. Um, very old style approach for sure. And then Not it the comes, best. yeah. <laughs> and then the, nine years later, 2013, um, you were already brown belt. Um, so it took you nine years between white belt to uh, brown belt. But yes. then you discover that your you were not really ready for brown belt as soon as you joined the Machado uh, Academy, right? Correct. Yes, that was uh, that was very very eye opening. I always, uh, you know, back when I started jujitsu, uh, you you we the the black belt was something that you just did not understand the concept of. You never really saw at that point brown belts because there were very few. Unless it's like some, you know, super hardcore academy like Gracie Academy and, you know, but at that time it just, you didn't see brown belts. Purple belts were like these magical wizards that, that seemed like black belts. Uh, blue belts, you just looked at the, you know, he's just going to destroy me and I just, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. No matter how big you are, no matter how strong you are, that gives a blue belt he's going to destroy because at that time nobody just gave out belts that time especially my instructor it was you earn it and that that's it and he didn't care whether it took you two years three years whatever mm -hmm. it took me a year and seven months which was incredibly fast under him but i think that just the fact that i, I was really committed and uh, and dedicated so uh, fast forward to 2013 um, uh 13 yeah, I started training at uh, Master Jean-Jacques Machado's academy because the academy where I was at previously, it literally fell apart due to uh, financial uh, uh, complications, let's just say. And although I understand the various types of uh, business uh, dynamics, it was just uh, it was just a recipe for disaster. And plus, in in Los Angeles, the the rent alone is so incredibly expensive that an academy that I remember that place was maybe 2,500 square feet, but the rent was like $10,000 a month, you know, and it's just a a amazingly difficult to, to maintain that type of a uh, business model based on monthly, uh, you know, memberships and students and, and all that stuff. So long story short, um, that academy fell apart and Master John Jocks Academy was literally in Tarzana, California for many years where I lived. And the only reason why I did not go there sooner is because uh, I remember when I left D'Artagnan's and I went, it, it was in, uh, uh, I started in 2004 with D'Artagnan and at the end of 2006, uh, I moved uh, into to, to Tarzana. So, uh, and, and the drive was a little bit long. It was like 30, 40 minute drive and in LA, there's like a lot of traffic. And I just, uh, and because of um, just various circumstances due, due to work, and I couldn't get back there. So I just really wanted to uh, start training. And I remember I drove by uh, uh, Jean-Jacques Machado uh, headquarters like five, six times. And every time I would drive by in the afternoon, they were closed. They were closed. I would call answering machine. I would call, and then I called, and then, you know, some gentleman with a, you know, with a Portuguese accent picked up, and I said, are you guys open? He says, no, call back later, and then I come back later. Long story short, it was always closed, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess it wasn't meant to be, but I, I started going there in uh, the beginning of mid-2013 mid because I was taking my nephew there for the kids' class because they had a really wonderful kids' program, and uh, uh, Professor Jay Zabalos who was a master uh, Jean Jacques and is currently master Jean Jacques like right hand. He um, 
he was teaching uh, the kids program and it was new and I really appreciated very much the approach because it was just it was you know especially at an elite academy so I was going there already so I kind of already they knew me and you know I asked uh, if it's okay if I started training there and uh, Marcel uh, Santos who was the uh, general manager and also a uh, uh, black belt he and he's been with Master John Jock since he was a teenager he said yeah just come by and you know and I uh, I went there to train and I remember on my first day I uh, got p uh, partnered up with a with a black belt and uh, he destroyed me in ways that I've never been destroyed before. Like literally, it was like a five-minute round. I think he submitted me maybe four or five times with the exact same thing. <laughs> it was from side control, and it was like a scarf hold, step over, armbar, and he just that's it. He would he he just got got that underhook on the far side, pulled my arm, stepped over, and that was it. And I'm like I I, I couldn't even stop it. It was just it was unbelievable. And I said to myself. I uh, I really am gonna have to rebuild myself. But why and, why uh, do you think that happened? If uh, the previous academy that you were, were, you said it was really hardcore and everything. Why do you think just because the guys on the gym of Shad, uh, well, John Jacks Machado were so ahead of time, or the academy that you were was not as tough as you thought it was? Uh, the, the, I, I think it's a it's a couple of factors. I think that number one, back in uh, at that time in 2013, and just overall, I remember Jean Jacques Machado uh, uh, Academy had a very uh, uh, notorious reputation of being one of the roughest and intense academies around. Period, and everybody knew that everybody trains hard over there. I mean, it's like full blast training, and even though that everybody's kind of like you know, obviously on the on, on the same team. Everybody is just, it's just pure destruction. Like, you know, you're just going to war every single time you go train. And, you know, and I knew that that, that was the reputation. When I got there, uh, it was already sl almost at the end of that kind of uh, uh, type of a dynamic. But everybody trained really hard. But there was a combination of factors. I truly believe that at the previous academy, um, I was promoted to brown belt prematurely, and I think in jiu-jitsu, I think one of the worst things and one of the biggest uh, 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 things that you can really uh, impose a lot of suffering onto a student is when you promote them prematurely to a belt for which they are not ready to be promoted. And because at that time when I was uh, at the previous academy, I was... Uh, teaching there and I knew the owner over there and I think that he promoted me to brown belt not knowing that he's going to have financial mm -hmm. issues but he promoted me I, I, I think because it was I like to think it's because he felt that it would be good for me and he wanted to do something that he knew was important to me but it shouldn't be that yeah. way but at the same time I think it was better for him that there was a brown belt teaching and I really devoted a lot of time to teaching, even though I had like you know two kids at that time, and or uh, a second one on the way, and then uh, and then I had my three three almost four year old daughter, and you know, but I really made jujitsu a priority, even though that I had other business commitments and all that. So I would teach a six o'clock class and the seven o'clock class, and you know, usually probably three four times a week, and then I train pretty much six days a week. So I think it was better for his academy. So when I finally got to a place where my brown belt was tested, it really did not hold water. It was it was very defeating mentally. I gotta say. Yeah, and and, and for you, it was 
more like a pleasant surprise or was a shocking surprise for you? Because when you were promoted, did you feel you were ready, or you just felt that uh, it was uh, is a good is a good promotion? I'm ready, or were were you always skeptical? Am I ready for this? You know, I was very skeptical, and uh, I knew that I was not ready. I I I knew down deep inside that I'm just not ready for what I what I always thought a brown belt was, even though that it wasn't up to me. So I said, okay, well, if my instructor feels that I am ready for brown belt, then who am I to say that I'm right. not? But down deep inside, I felt that I'm I'm not ready, and and this reality got exposed when I got to Jinjaku. yeah. So when you went to Jinjaku, it was not really a a big surprise. It was more like a confirmation to you. Yeah, it, it, it was a big eye-opening reality because I thought to myself, my God, you know, I barely felt like, uh, you know, I even told Jean-Jacques, I said, uh, Master Jean-Jacques, I said, you know, I, I, I don't, I just got promoted to, uh, to to brown belt, but I don't even feel like I'm a brown belt, I said, and I just wanted to ask you, maybe you can tell me what belt I should wear because <laughs> I most certainly don't feel like I'm a brown belt. And Master Jean-Jacques is really nice and gracious, even though he's incredibly intense. But he says, no, he goes, just wear whatever belt you think you are, and it's fine. And, you know, like meaning that, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, like you, you'll either grow, grow into it and we'll forge you into whatever you're at now, or you'll end up quitting yeah, anyways. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's, it's like that. And, uh, I, you know, I continue to wear the brown belt, and uh, it took uh, probably about a year and a half before Master Jean-Jacques recognized me as a first-degree Jean-Jacques Machado brown belt because, you know, you got guys coming in there at a brown belt, and who knows, mm -hmm. you know, you got to make sure that they're loyal, you can, you know, you, and, and it's, uh, you know, but I really made sure that, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that, uh, you know, I want my work ethic to, to, to speak for me. I don't want my words to speak for me. I don't want anything. I want I, I wanted him to see and everybody there to see that I knew that I sucked and I wanted everybody to know that I'm ready to put in the work needed in order to just even be able to even begin to scrape at the very bottom level of a brown belt, which I knew that I wasn't, even though that I was wearing one. And I think that uh, that, that I accomplished that goal because, uh, you know, at, at, I began to compete already a little bit at the end of 2013, and then I had my uh, little incident there. No, what, what happened? With, uh, you, you got a, a kick on your nose? Was that during a competition? You know, I remember as clear as day, I did the 2013, um, I believe it was the Master Worlds in, uh, in Long Beach. So all the IBJJF uh, tournaments, you know, big ones were in uh, Southern California. So uh, they had the Master Worlds at the uh, Walter Pyramid where they have the uh, Mundials and it's at Cal State Long Beach. It's a beautiful facility. It's literally a pyramid. And uh, it's very grand, you know. So I remember I went out there, and I, you know, I lost because, you know, I wasn't the the you know a great brown belt, and I shouldn't have lost. It was it was it was I lost mentally, to tell you honestly, because the guy I went up against didn't really do anything that special, and I just lost mentally because it was just that was it. That's you know, and you know how it is with competition. Yeah. A huge part of it is mental, right. you know. So uh, that was on a su uh, Sunday. On Monday. I'm rolling with a black belt, and this was a black belt, very nice guy, 
but he always rolled like it was to the death. And because I was a brown belt over at John Jocks, it was this kind of a, this vibe at that time where, you know, uh, God forbid you get submitted by somebody that is lower belt than you are. It's uh, it's going to be it's going to be bad, you know. So I was rolling with this black belt. He mounted me and he went for an arm bar from the mount. And, you know, and I defended and, you know, you kind of hold mm -hmm. your arms and he was trying to take my right arm. And what he did was, is that, you know how you he's, he's sitting to my right. He's kind of he like was trying, basically trying he, to, to break a grip with his leg and probably kick your face. He was trying to push my far bicep yep. with his leg. Classic. So he was trying to, you know, kind of do mm -hmm. that. And what he did was, is that he landed and kicked me right there, right in the nose. And if you notice, my nose has got this dip in it because it, it it literally like broke you know what i mean but not the not the nose broke the 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 cartilage but what really happened was uh my nose like literally like exploded so i went to the bathroom and i looked and i'm like oh man like that hurt and you know wiped the blood off and i'm like yeah seems all right went back out there continued training and a couple days later uh, I felt like something was was off, so I had um, I made an appointment with a ear nose throat doctor, and uh, went to see him. Uh, I took the heel on a on a Monday, on a Wednesday. I went to that doctor, and he's looking at my nose, and he goes, "Yeah, you know, you got a deviated septum, and it doesn't look broken." I said, "Yeah, but doctor," I said, "Why do I feel like I don't know, like I'm getting sick or something? I feel like I'm I'm catching a cold, you know." And he goes, he goes, maybe it's a coincidence. He goes, yeah, you know, you got a deviated septum. You know, we could fix that. And I'm like, listen, I'm not here to, for a deviated septum. I'm here because I don't, I don't feel good. So Wednesday night, Thursday night, Yuri, by Friday night, I have never, and my whole nose literally here, I couldn't pass air. It was swollen. And um, I, I, I told uh, at that time the, my, my, my kid's mom, I said, listen, you gotta please find me another doctor. I said, something's wrong because I had a fever like I've never felt before. Wow. And that following Monday, we, uh, we, she found a uh, doctor in uh, Beverly Hills and we went to, to see him. He was a, he was a, 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 a nose and a throat special. So, and he like didn't accept insurance and I like didn't care because he was the only one that we could get in to see. And, uh, you know, and he did, uh, they, they did all the surgeries for all the f very famous singers like, like Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers, Celine Dion, and see all these gold records on the uh, on the walls. And I walked in there, sat down. They put me in the exam room, and then uh, the the doctor. Uh, I remember Doctor Swartout. He's probably like maybe late thirties, early forties. Very nice guy, big guy. He comes in here and he looks at me and he goes, he goes, oh, and like from across the exam room. And he goes, lift your head up. And he did this. He goes, oh my god. He goes, you know. He goes, you got a really bad infection in your nose. He goes, and it looks like staph. And I said, staph? And I've never, you know, and I knew about ringworm. I didn't know about staph. He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm like 99% sure it's staph. He goes, the only question, I don't know, is it staph or is it MRSA? <laughs> he goes, so they did a swab, they did the test, and it wasn't staph, it was MRSA, which is wonderful because that's the multi-resistant, uh, multi uh, you know, staph. So they put me on antibiotics. He uh, drained the nose and packed it with medication. I felt horrible, Yuri. It was insane torture. It was painful. It was just misery 
for three weeks, I went to that doctor's office every single day. He would cut my nose open. He would pack it with medication. They gave me the strongest antibiotics that were not IV, and uh, I would go home. And at that time, uh, you know, the we were expecting our uh, second daughter, and uh, you know, so we were already in the, like a six month of uh, pregnancy. I had a three-year-old daughter that, you know, I can't really even come near because I'm, you know, afraid that, you know, I have, like, staff or Mercy, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, it was just a nightmare. But I, I can't and, – and I'm laying there literally dying, you know. And it was the most insane feeling because literally a week, two weeks went by, literally all the muscles atrophied. I looked at myself. I looked literally – completely unrecognizable it was insane did, did, and, you, uh, did you ever find out uh, why did you have this infection well yeah because i had a fracture in my nasal cavity so uh staff got in there and uh, it turned into a, a MRSA mm -hmm. and uh that was it and especially because i waited so long before i actually went on to antibiotics uh that was uh, that was it so probably about three four weeks after I, uh, I, I got on the medication and I went to that Beverly Hills doctor. Uh, they, all, they were sending me already to an infectious disease specialist doctor who uh, handles literally like infections and you know any, everything related to infectious disease. And uh, this, this was an amazing doctor and uh, his office was in a Cedar Sinai uh, medical building and you know like Cedar Sinai, the famous hospital. And uh, I went to his uh, office for uh, uh, Dr. Pozalski, uh, his name was. And uh, he saved my life already a couple times. Uh, uh, and he said, you know, he goes, let's do this. He goes, how about we go to the emergency room right now and uh, let's get you admitted to the ER. And I need to start uh, IV antibiotics, like literally right away, because I'm concerned that it may be leak the infection may be getting into your bloodstream. And if it does, you got probably about a 99% chance that you may not make it if it gets into your bloodstream and uh, there's sepsis. Ooh, wow. And I, and I remember I told him, I said, yeah, I said, look, I'm nervous. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I, got the, I got a few things to do. He goes, look, you got 103 fever, you got 120 pulse, and uh, it's not because you're nervous. Let's go, we'll get you admitted. And we went and got me admitted. And Yuri, I got to tell you, I was literally right on the edge of death's door, you know. Wow. And, uh, and all was, because of a it, bad arm bar. Unbelievable. All because of taking a heel from a guy who just, you know, felt that he needed to get that arm at all cost and cost me a fracture in my uh, nasal cavity. And I remember when I was in the finally after six hours. Because you know, with no with staff, they're not going to admit you right away because they are, you know, taking all the cardiac patients. And he, uh, I finally got admitted, and I'm laying there in the ER. They finally put the IV in and all that, and I'm looking at the clock, and I remember as clear as day. I'm thinking to myself, "Is this it?" It was like two in the morning. The seconds are going tick, you mm -hmm. know, like minutes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, "Wow!" I'm like, "Is this really my time? Is this the way I'm going to go?" There's so much I haven't done you know i got a three-year-old daughter i got one on the way six months pregnant and and i can't believe that this may be it and then they took me upstairs and they took me to do a ct scan and i remember they pulled put me in the tube they did the test they pulled me out of the tube they put me on the bed uh, off the off the like machine onto the 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 the, the, the 
Garni or whatever it's called. And I remember looking, it was like a movie. I'm looking through that uh, through that glass window where I see the technician. And then I see Dr. Swartout, who's the one that I first saw that, you know, told me that it was infected and that treated me for like three weeks. And then I look and I see Dr. Pazowski. It was like three in the morning, you know. And then I look and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is like a movie. They're going to walk out. <laughs> <clears throat> and they're gonna tell me right now if I'm gonna live or die. Wow. Literally. And I like and I said, you know, and I said to myself, you know what, it is it is what it is. There's it's all out of my hands. I pray to God that, you know, that it's not it. If it is, what can I do? And Dr. Prozowski came out, he was on my left side. I remember he 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 did this, he goes, Look, he goes, you know what? He goes, You have a fracture in your nasal. Uh, uh, cavity and uh, that's why you're still bleeding he goes thankfully there's no sepsis uh, you're gonna be okay and even though that your nose is gonna be messed up like this already he goes but that's that's the worst of it and uh, you're gonna be fine we're gonna take you back to the room keep you on uh, IV antibiotics and then they discharged me and a nurse was coming to my house uh, 5 in the morning and 7 p.m. for a week and they left uh, one of those shunts in my uh, in my arms so that they can hook up the uh, IV, um, what is it, a clindamycin, yep, yep. Uh, and another something. And uh, for for a whole week, I was uh, at home getting IV at five in the morning. So that was probably with with that you you probably got out of training for at least a couple of months, right? Uh, I was out for about three months. I did not return until like December twenty eighth. I was yeah, I was out for about like yeah, it was all, it was probably about two and a half months. Yeah, I mean I couldn't walk, Yuri. I couldn't even walk. I could I could barely drive. It was I I, th I literally thought I was gonna die. I just I I didn't think I'd make it. Did you uh, did you ever did. consider, for example? Uh, or did you ever reflect during this uh, time of, well, this is the second injury with this jiu-jitsu thing, should I stop? Or do you, you never really thought about stopping? You know, I, and, and I remember as clear as day, when I was laying in the ER, uh, before they took me up to uh, get the CT scan, I said to myself, um, if I make it through this experience, I'm going to change everything in my life. I'm going to completely reevaluate how I live my life, how I spend my time, how I train, what kind of an approach I have to spending, making time with my, my at that time already almost four-year-old daughter, uh, with my family, because I was working and I was in a very consuming business at that time and uh, training jiu-jitsu was the only thing keeping me sane and I had a lot of pressure like all over from all over and uh, I was in this more developmental uh, phase of uh, that particular business and it was very, very complex and very pressure filled The jiu-jitsu just kept me sane and I said to myself, I never thought of quitting, no, no way, no, no possible mm -hmm. way. But I did say to myself, I'm going to completely re-evaluate uh, my life and how I live my life and uh, I promised that for myself and to myself and I did exactly that. So, And I said, when I come back. I'm coming back completely different. This is going to be a different human being. And Yuri, I did exactly just that. I came back. It was at the beginning of 2014. <clears throat> Everything changed. I took a completely different approach to business, to life, to family, to kids, to everything. It was, it was my defining moment at that time to truly overcome something that, that, that seemed like I would never overcome. I, and I started literally like like with nothing because I had lost a lot of weight <clears throat> I had uh, 
literally got out of shape because you know you just you're not doing anything. Yeah. I was bedridden for like two months, and uh, I started a whole new life beginning in 2014. And um, what did you change on your training? Did you? Uh, were more peak uh, with partners and and only rolling with people that you trust more uh, because this is a, a sad reality in jiu-jitsu sometimes is that uh, yeah. depends on your age and your physical condition and your goals sometimes it's really not a good idea to roll with everyone uh, some uh, sometimes it's good to actually pick and choose with who you can roll with yeah you You know, you, you do you do have a have a good point. I think that everybody, you know, eventually when you're you know at your at your home academy, you get to know everybody, and you get to know you know you know how they roll. You, they may be a nice person, you know, before and after the roll, but during the roll, that guy may roll hard. That guy may roll crazy. That guy rolls smooth. That guy is big guy, but he's you know very careful. That guy's a small guy, and he'll twist your head off. So you got to really pick and choose. It's just kind of like going to the gym. And depending on what it, what 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 body part you want to work out and what intensity, you know, it's like this is you know the equipment that you choose mm -hmm. relative to your training partners. But what I felt was what I needed to do since I completely deteriorated physically. Uh, I committed myself to, to, to starting a, a strength and conditioning. And one of the biggest inspirations for me was, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the the greasy Baja legend, Havala Baja. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Hamalo was going doing uh, strength and conditioning uh, nearby where I lived uh, at a place with uh, Leo Francu, and Leo is uh, like a world champion um, a Romanian uh, freestyle wrestler. So uh, I would always see Hamalo posting him doing all kinds of different like like awesome conditioning, and I thought, wow, I really wanted to do that. So. I knew where uh, Leo's gym was, and uh, it was in Sherman Oaks over there in, uh, in San Fernando Valley, and I would drive by it all the time, so I went to Leo, I met with him, and uh, I said, listen, I really want to get into shape, I feel that, you know, and I told him my story, I told him, you know, coming off the injury and all that, and uh, I started training with, uh, with Leo in the same capacity as uh, Homolo was, minus Because what Hamelo obviously was doing, I could not do physically because Hamelo was like in elite shape, and I began to rebuild myself. It took me a while, and you know, and Leo is uh, is is a huge ballbuster. You know, he's literally he's, he's he's not the not the tallest guy, but he is one of the most intense guys ever. I and he put me through uh, a program that <clears throat> I was uh, coming to see him twice a week, and I was training five six times a week. And uh, he literally rebuilt me in a matter of probably about six, eight months into a completely new rebuilt version of me. After which, uh, probably about six, eight months into the training with Leo, then one day he told me, and he taught me like so much. He taught me how to breathe. He taught me how to pace myself. He taught me just overall, just how to manage my strength and output and endurance and all that. And about like uh, closer to like eight, nine months after I started training with him, he goes, you know what, Greg? He goes, now you're actually ready for me to train you. And then we really started training. <laughs> And then I was doing actually similar to what Hamala was doing because I was in the best shape of my life. Right now I'm in the best shape of my life, but at that time I could not believe what my body was able to right. do. 
uh, relative to, uh, to, to where I was. And, and before I took that heel in the nose, I was nowhere near that condition. And everything changed. My jiu-jitsu improved. I never, I never considered uh, picking and choosing uh, training partners and all that. In fact, I began to choose the guys that I knew were the, uh, let's just say, the baddest ones over at uh, Jean Jacques because I wanted to constantly test myself. And uh, I, I really, and nobody really knew what I was doing relative to a strength and conditioning but they would all tell me they're like man he goes you feel a lot more powerful a lot stronger and uh, my endurance was up and i always had good cardio but everything changed and uh probably at the end of 2014 um mid 2014 i would say everything in my jiu-jitsu changed thanks to the conditioning that i was uh, undergoing and that's right about that time when i began to use my lapels in order to be able to uh, apply that one first uh, submission that I uh, th that I started using and developing, which took me also probably about four or five months to actually execute, but uh, it was really because uh, it was very difficult it, at John Jacks. The problem is, is that it's very difficult to, uh, to to achieve a submission on guys that were like anything, even like high purple. Forget brown, black. It was just it just a back and forth roll, and typically you're the one getting submitted. Mm -hmm. So, and good luck choking a black belt or a brown belt. Good luck arm barring them. Good good luck with any of you. You had to come up with something like literally, you know, unique. Yep. And I came up with a a, a lapel type of uh, entry where they would turtle because I noticed a lot of guys would uh, would turtle, you know, and they would kind of uh, sit there. And then I said, oh, well, you know, if I feed my lapel through the through here, feed it to my and then kind of step over. I, I literally have a lapel choke that's very difficult to uh, to get out of. And uh, I began to work on that. It took me about five, six months of practice and failure, practice and failure. But uh, but I finally began to uh, accomplish it right around like second half towards the end of 2014. Yuri, it redefined my whole jujitsu. It gave me purpose. It gave me direction because every role I said to myself, I need to make whoever I'm rolling with, turtle, turtle, turtle. And that became my whole mission. And uh, I began to have a lot of success with that, to, to say the very least. And uh, I became uh, known for that, uh, that, that submission that uh, Master Jean-Jacques ultimately called the, uh, the, the Gregorian lapel choke, as he called it. That's awesome. That's awesome. One thing that I noticed um, with, uh, with athletes uh, and, and people that do martial arts, is that their journey journey is very similar to yours from the point of view that they have up and ups and downs and usually when you go down you usually come back much better uh, it happened to you in 2013 you went all the way down yeah. uh lost everything almost died and then you came back and redefined yourself yeah. so i've seen this trend uh in, in many other interviewers uh guests yeah. that i that i have in the show so it's very interesting to see this um, this trend because right after that, right after you redefine yourself, 2014, 15, 16, you got your black belt, uh, which which yes. was uh, uh, of course an amazing moment, uh, getting the black belt. Yes. But um, and then right after that, 2019, you move and you build your own gym here in Texas. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, ever since I started jujitsu. I, 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 you don't understand in the beginning, even at white or even at blue, you, you don't have an understanding about what, what, 
what what really a black belt is. But I always had incredible role models and uh, role models and and and, and mentors from Hoyce Gracie and you know Horian Gracie, Grandmaster Horian Gracie, and at the Gracie Academy and my my uh, longtime uh, trainer Pat King, and who was one of Hoyce's original uh, black belts. Uh, you know, and 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 I was literally you know at, at one point I'm starting jiu-jitsu because of Hoist Gracie and then in 2007 I'm standing next to Hoist Gracie you know helping him uh, uh, teach a seminar and I'm part of Hoist Gracie jiu-jitsu it was just literally surreal but I always felt that that was a calling that I need I, I needed to achieve it brought out the best of me it uh, it gave me an opportunity to understand what struggle is I think that nowadays um, a lot of people lack overcoming struggle mm -hmm. you know and, and life is about struggle yeah. and it just life can be so much more punishing than jujitsu uh ever will be it's just that in jujitsu everything happens like you know it's 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 immediate you go to train and you're immediately put in a position of struggle and problem solving discomfort finding uh, uh how to be uh, figuring out how to find comfort when you are uncomfortable, this is a major part of jiu-jitsu and applying the techniques that you learn in order to create solutions for bad positions. And this immediately translates to life outside of the mat because jiu-jitsu helped me so much dealing with things that had nothing to do with jiu-jitsu. Uh, I was born in the Soviet Union in uh, 1974. Uh, the Los Angeles. We I, we came to Los Angeles in 1981 uh, from Moscow, and uh, we lived in Los Angeles, which is the the largest uh, Russian and the Armenian uh, uh, community outside of uh, Soviet mm -hmm. Union. You know, and always dealing with the and dealing with certain businesses that dealt with Russians. It's an incredibly aggressive uh, uh, nationality. You know. And the men are incredibly aggressive, and they, and they, and they're they're aggressors. So if, if they smell weakness, yep. they'll exploit that. And in business, because the way that I looked at it is that, and I saw this a lot. It's you know, business conversation breaks down, and people start fighting and all kinds of stuff. And it's just it was just a common thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, and these guys, these aren't fighters. These are. <clears throat> just guys that you know Russian guys that had a lot of money and just have no nonsense and you know they get in an argument with another guy about whatever business whatever and then all of a sudden start hitting each other and that that just you know kind of the environment that I that I was dealing with back then and uh, jujitsu helped me a lot because it gives you this confidence to know that in that situation y y you don't have a problem with uh, taking it that far yeah. and when you learn about yourself to the point where you understand that it in in the male primal male world and hierarchy uh, a business meeting is just a civil conversation but in any boardroom no matter how sophisticated or how not sophisticated it may be at some Russian restaurant where they're talking about this business or that business or at some conference room if the conversation breaks down Really what's going to depend on who ultimately wins that particular negotiation is the one that's going to be able to kick the other man's ass. Simple. And this is an unspoken type of posturing that happens mm. when, uh, when you're dealing with men, especially ones that tend to be more aggressive. So jiu-jitsu really helped me 
in ways that I never really had to use just because I think that just that projected the type of energy where if you want to take it that far, I don't have a problem. But I think also the fact that I had cauliflower ear also helped me out uh, quite a lot <laughs> because you really don't want to mess around with that one guy that's got the cauliflower that's ear. That's true. You know that's I mean? true. So, well, uh, and, and, so, yeah. and talking about business, you, when you move to Texas, you, you create your own business. And I was a testimony of uh, how it is started. I visited you, your academy many times yes. when it was starting. It is incredible that even with COVID, it has grown so much with a really loyal community around you, uh, which is, is quite amazing uh, how we were able to build that academy with so many loyal students in such a short period of time and also in the middle of a pandemic. You know, Yuri, first and foremost, I really wanted to first, uh, you know, tell and uh, how grateful I am for all of your support, for all of your graciousness and how kind and welcoming you were to me when I even uh, when I first got here, that you have been supportive of uh, of, of, of my jujitsu journey and, and, and us opening up Carlos Machado uh, in uh, in Bedford over here. And I just really wanted to thank you personally, you know, from uh, from from one brother to another. And Absolutely. truly, I'm very Absolutely. humbled and, and honored to have so much uh, so much support. And uh, and you're one of those who definitely uh, supported me and uh, and still does. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, I I left a life behind in uh, 2019 of April. I moved my family out here, and I wanted to start a new life. I felt that I got way too caught up in living a life in LA that was rooted in a lot of realism. Uh, and just kind of you get stuck in this financial uh, hamster wheel and you don't even realize that you're in it. And I was very unhappy. I was incredibly stressed out. The only thing in my life that was making any sense was jiu-jitsu. I always wanted to, to have an academy in LA. It's very difficult to open up your own jiu-jitsu academy apart from the fact that just logistically there's just so much uh, so many uh, jiu-jitsu schools out there, but even aside from that, it's just the financially, it's just the the really high. So, uh, my my best friend from childhood lives out here, lived out here for already for 25 years, uh, Rick Witten, and he would always tell me, "You should come out, come out, come out." And then you know, my my life circumstances turned in such a such a strange way that at the beginning of 2019, he actually uh, ended up coming out to visit his family. In LA, and then we met up, and uh, we talked, and uh, he just said, "Just come on out here, and we'll open up this academy, and you know, and and we can do it, and you should do it, and you know, and because he he started training first at Travis Luters in 2015, and then due to uh, 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 he started training up at headquarters at a Farmers Branch with Master Carlos Machado. So um, after I talked to uh, to Rick, I talked to Master Jean Jacques. And uh, I, I asked him if it's okay, because in 2018, I asked him, would it be okay if I moved to Texas and open up Jean-Jacques Academy? And, and, and Jean-Jacques said, best Jean-Jacques goes, ah, you know, that's my brother's territory, and it just kind of wouldn't look uh, that good if you went out there, and you know, and it just uh, probably wouldn't be a good idea. And I left it alone. But then I talked to him. In 2019, after I met with Rick, and I said, "Look, you know," I said, "I really would love to be able to move out there. It's for the greater good of my family to start a new life. And as much as I love, you know, you and being Jean Jacques Machado black belt, I'll always be a Jean Jacques Machado black belt because nothing will change the fact that you promoted me. But maybe would it be possible if you would be able to talk to Master Carlos Machado and possibly?" You know, I could come out there and 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 be under him and open up uh, an academy with him. 
And Jean Jacques talked to Mr. Carlos. Mr. Carlos talked to Jean Jacques. I came out to Texas, and uh, I think everything worked out with uh, with the blessing of uh, both. Mr. Carlos is an amazing human being. Uh, without Master Jean Jacques' blessing and, and him paving the way, I never would have been able to uh, to do this. And I feel that uh, I was uh, incredibly blessed, you know. And we we opened up here on November first, and uh, we had an incredibly large number of uh, new students join, mm-hmm. and yep. it was incredibly uh, incredibly humbling. And we were adding literally like probably twenty twenty five new students a month. By the time we uh, we opened up, we hit like a hundred students before uh, December thirty first, and then we were on pace to literally like twenty five new students a month, January, February, and then COVID. at the end of February, it went ooh, and March it went, and then mid uh, mid March, uh, it really got uh, problematic because obviously we were told to close down. And uh, like everybody closed down, and um, you know, with the with the you know through the grace of God and just blessing that that I can't even explain. We have the most amazing students. We uh, we had students that refused to stop paying for their monthly tuition. They continued to pay even though that we were closed. It enabled us to to keep the lights on. It enabled us to pay the rent because the landlord still wanted the rent. Of course, yeah. The city still wanted all the bills. We did not get any so-called PPE relief or any uh, paycheck protection or anything like that because we're like a new business. So we didn't get any financial help. And without our students and their love and support and them believing in, in, in me and my vision and, and you know, and, and the support that we had, it was just unbelievable. It was just, you know, and then when we was in March, April, May, and I think May 18th, we, uh, May 19th, we opened up. Uh, it was uh, it was challenging because you know those were some uh, some some challenging times. You know, it's yeah. you never know what's going on with this virus, and especially in this particular industry, it's 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 there's no worse like industry than jujitsu for this particular so-called pandemic. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. thank God we have never had any issues with that uh, situation. Thank God we have incredibly healthy students. Everybody's very very cautious and courteous and clean and everything and you know and 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 since we opened up in may we we've been adding a lot of uh, a lot of students and everything's been growing and growing and growing and, and, and again it, it, it just proves what i said before ups and down because you have that down phase of three months yeah. and then you are coming back strong and then you boom release a whole dvd talking about the gregorian lapel submission system Yes, which he, which yes. when I saw I was like, wow, I remember him choking me with that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, we rolled one, one time and you choked me with and I didn't see coming. I was like, wow, that's awesome. There is now a DVD that teaches that. So yes. talk about more about this DVD. That's amazing. You know, uh, I had one submission. It was just basically when you turtle. I'll feed the lapel. It's basically a Peruvian necktie using the lapel, and Jean Jacques called it the Gregorian lapel choke. So why? Because you know I was blessed to be able to get really good at setting that up, and I was very successful with that. Let's just say at mm-hmm. uh, at headquarters, I didn't make a lot of friends with with that particular submission, but it was very effective. So yeah. uh, when we reopened, uh, you know I, I'm very blessed to have very talented uh, uh, lower belt students, white belts. I have some, some of the most amazing white belts that I've ever trained with. I mean, and, and everybody says it who visits uh, our academy, how 
amazing our, our white belts are. And uh, you know, and also you know, with the with 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 training with uh, with at that time Coach Philip, now Professor Philip uh, Bullock, you know, uh, who was basically my main training partner, Professor Brad Scott, who always uh, forged me in ways that I I mean I I, I I'm incredibly blessed because Professor Brad is just a, a, a the, the most savage uh, uh, jiu-jitsu mentor and teacher that I've ever had. That hands-on literally like like has forged me into into what I believe is the best version of myself as a black belt that I could be without him I, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't be where I'm at today without without professor Brad hands hands down and uh, I just had began having a hard time applying the same submission the same way to my onto my students and I began to create alternative ways of applying the same submission and then at night I do a lot of uh, thinking because I live and breathe jujitsu and that's all I do and uh, you know I'm laying there in the middle of the night I'm thinking well what if I did it this way maybe it would work this way and I would come up at night in my head different ways of applying this same exact fundamental entry but from different positions mm -hmm. And then I got a second one. I had a Gregorian step over. Then I had a Gregorian reverse. And then I had a from side control. I said, well, maybe if I feed it this way, this way while they're on side control. Because if you go from a turtle and then they turn to their side, if they turn away from you, you got them in a side control. But what if I feed it kind of around their neck and under their arm? I'm like, oh, my. It's like it's there, too. If they face enemy, I kind of got a dar feed. And I came up literally one after another after another. And uh, obviously, BJG Fanatics is the premier um, company that, you know, deals with the best of the best in the world with the Gordon Ryans and the John Danaher's, mm. you know, and uh, Bernardo Faria with, you know, his trademark, you know, okay, guys, you know, huge honor, you know, and, uh, and, and I've always, you know, seen their videos and I just never in a million years could have imagined that I would have a DVD instructional uh, based on a Gregorian lapel submission system on BJJ Fanatics. And they agreed to uh, to to release the system on the merits of this particular effectiveness of the system because I'm not a world champion. I don't have any uh, you know competitive accomplishments to uh, to speak of. But I I believe that I I really am a um, let's just say uh, I love jujitsu very much. And uh, this this submission system is uh, my true masterpiece. And I know that it's effective. I use it all the time. My students learn it and use it all the time. Um, some of my students even used it in competition. Yeah, I saw, I've seen, I've seen one of your student, a uh, 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 girl, uh, using it. Yes. That was amazing. Yes, she's been training for like four or five months and she pulls it off. It was just, it was one of the proudest moments. Donovan uh, nailed it in, back in February at uh, Jiu-Jitsu World League. He was just, you know, he just, he got, I mean, you know how good Donovan yeah. is, you know. And uh, it, it really grew into something amazing. And uh, Philip, myself, and uh, one of our students, uh, Webb, uh, filmed this in, I think it was uh, in October or no November, November, and um, sent it over to BJJ Fanatics. They did a great job editing it, and it was released, ironically, on December 14th, which was the exact four-year anniversary of my promotion to Black Belt. Wow. So, what uh, a and, and, Yeah, and... Yeah, and, and, and it really uh, – and they didn't tell me because they're just busy, you know, and it's holidays. And I just looked looked up Greg Hamilton BJJ on uh, Google. I was just kind of looking to see what our search uh, results are like. And I look and I see BJJ Fanatics, the Gregorian lapel submission system. And it was like this, 
this feeling of the, like it was as if like I had a baby or something. You know what I mean? And it was just it was it was amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, yeah, I can't express to you how much um, great feedback I've received from people I don't even know who they are from all over the world who said that they really enjoy this DVD. They really have been practicing it and 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 really have it, – it's, it's something unique. The great thing about this system, Yuri, and I don't want to keep going on and on about it, but the thing is this. In, in, in all of jujitsu, I've never seen a system that is based off of what, what I created. I, I, I took something that would work for me and I, I, I turned it into a system that has different stages and it's basically like a funnel. And if you get the person moving into this funnel, into the turtle, and then from the turtle, they're either going to move one way or another, you're eventually going to get them stuck in a Gregorian lapel submission web, and you can, you can catch them if you understand the system uh, in, enough. And there's nothing like it. As, as much content as they have on BJJ Fanatics uh, of, of all the different instructionals, there's nothing even close to what this uh, Gregorian lapel submission system is, and I'm really, really super proud of it. It's not that I just took and kind of redid some guard passing my way or some chokes my way or whatever, you know, because, I mean, I'm, you know, how many ways are you going to do chokes? But with the lapel, nobody's even doing it. I, I've never even seen Keenan Cornelius in his lapel encyclopedia even do any of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful to be working on DVD Part 2, which we're going to release in, uh, in probably in about February. That's amazing, Greg. Professor yeah. Greg... Uh, yes. We could talk for hours because you have so much uh, content to share. Thank you. Uh, so I just want to say thanks a lot for thank spending this time uh, educating uh, our audience. Also, thank you very much for the, the work you do at the Academy. It's, it's very healthy for the entire community. Uh, everyone that is around you is uh, much happier. I've seen uh, uh, that. I've seen the change uh, in the area uh i've seen how you guys are are done in the competitions uh, your style of coaching um very engaged uh i really like that yeah. as well um so thank you very much for everything you do and keep up the great work i, I hope that 2021 we don't have up and downs and you can continue to grow steadily up and up Definitely, Yuri. Thank you very much, and I'm very happy to see that your uh, your foot is healing. I know you're coming off of a surgery. I know you got some big competitive goals and things that you want to achieve, and uh, you're, you've been a big source of inspiration to me. And I love watching you grow and all the amazing output that you do, especially on uh, on weekends where you're lifting weights and doing all kinds of crazy stuff over there at your house while others are just kind of sitting around. So I'm very grateful to uh, to have your support and uh, and and great to see you back on your feet, brother. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Professor Greg, take care. Yes, Happy sir. New Year. Let's uh, dominate 21. Take care, my friend. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. God bless. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.